0: We are taking you behind the scenes of the National Institute for Data Science and Artificial Intelligence.
1: With unprecedented access to the scientists pushing boundaries and shaping our future, this show will take you to the cutting edge and beyond.
0: And whether you're an expert yourself or just science curious, this is the show for you. Welcome to the Turing Podcast. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Cheering Podcast. Um, today, we have a really interesting topic that has been on the news very much. Um, and AI has been in the public eye like never before. This means that we need clear um, regulation and st- standards for all of the um, AI in general. So recently, uh, the UK government released a white paper on AI regulations And the EU has proposed a regulatory framework for AI, which will likely become law um, in autumn. So here today to talk about these topics, we have Ray Eitel-Porter, who is Managing Director at Accenture and Global Lead for Responsible AI, helping organizations scale the use of data and AI responsibly and ethically. He's been a friend of the Turing and Ray led the formation of the accenture allen Turing Institute strategic uh, pr- partnership to create a channel for cutting-edge research in data science and AI into real-world applications, and also has chaired the government's data skills task force since 2015. And we also have Florian Ostman who is the head of AI governments and regulatory innovation within the Cheering's public policy program, and his work focuses on regulation and non-regulatory governance mechanisms related to data and AI, as well as the use of data science and AI to facilitate the work of regulatory bodies. Recently, Florian has been heavily involved in the setup of the Cheering's AI standards hub, who, which we will talk a little bit more um, later, um, which is a body set up to advance trustworthy and responsible AI with a focus on the role that standards can play as governments' tools and innovation mechanisms. So, I would like to say welcome to all of you and hello. Hello.
2: Hello.
3: Hello. Uh, yes, with me um, is Anika. Thank you, B. Um, the first question is: What does the new proposed EU AI Act regulations encompass?
2: Thank you for that question. I think this is a really good starting point at a high level. The uh, European AI Act um, is a risk-based framework for the regulation of AI systems. Um, It relies on different risk categories for AI systems. So there's a category of unacceptable risk levels. Um, AI systems that fall into that category will be prohibited within the EU market. Then there's a category of what are considered to be high-risk AI systems or AI applications. Those systems will be subject to a specific list of what are called essential requirements, regulatory requirements. And then there will be sort of a remainder of systems um, that are considered lower risk, that um, are mainly meant to be governed through voluntary codes of conduct. Um, with some special provisions for certain AI applications, such as deepfake generators, for example, where there will be a requirement that it's transparent uh, when, you know, when, a, when a deepfake is being generated by AI. So at a rough level, you know, at, at, at a high level, that's, that's how the act is structured. It relies on these different risk tiers. Um, and we can go into more detail on sort of what the requirements are. Um, for high-risk systems, that's that's in a sense where the attention lies. It's high-risk systems and the requirements that those will be subject to. Um, and for the implementation of the AI Act, uh, standards will, will play a really important role, but that's a
1: topic we can probably come back to in a bit. And it, it's probably worth saying that um, the Act covers what I would call most of the typical areas of focus for AI ethics or responsible AI. So I'm thinking about uh, topics like fairness, like explainability, um, accuracy, and and so on. Um, But it also provides a lot of structure around the processes that will be required by organizations to ensure that they are um, meeting the regulations and to be able to demonstrate that. So risk management systems, the documentation, and so forth. So it's not just high level. It does go into a lot of the sort of implementation framework that will be needed.
0: Oh, thank you so much for this introduction to the topic. Um, So I have a further question, which is, But what is this that we're talking about? What is the standard? And what does this entail?
2: So the EU AI Act follows the established uh, European or EU approach to product safety regulation that has existed for uh, quite a while. It's often referred to as the, or it's known as the new legislative framework, and it's been used in many other product safety contexts. And that framework relies on what are known as harmonized standards. So those are standards that are developed by what are known as the European Standards Organizations. There are three bodies at the European level that are able to develop standards of that kind. Those are CEN, CENELEC and ETSI. Those are their names. The way the process works is that the European Commission issues a request to those organizations to develop standards in support of a given regulation. So in this case, a request to develop standards that support the implementation of the AI Act. This request um, was issued earlier this year. Um, it went to Sansenelec in this case. So SansSenelec has been charged with developing harmonized standards in support of the AI Act. Um, this process is now started. So there's an AI Com- committee in sense that that is starting to work to develop those standards once those standards have been developed they will be reviewed by the European Commission and if they're considered adequate they will then be um, elevated to the status of harmonized standards so they will be published in the relevant um, books of the European Union and what that means is that once a standard is recognized as a harmonized standard using that standard, Um, in in the private sector, so if a company uses the standard, um, that creates a presumption of conformity with the regulation. So in other words, um, declaring that the company has complied with the standard or adhered to a standard creates a presumption that the product or the service, in this case the AI system, complies with the regulatory requirements and so the burden um, of proving that that that's not the case is on whoever wants to challenge that. So that's the status of harmonized standards in the EU, those standards, it's very important to emphasize the standards aren't mandatory, so they remain voluntary. Um, So in theory it's open to any company to find other ways of proving that they have complied with the regulation, but in practice it's the most efficient way of proving that, because it's an established process, Um, uh, there's a market of consultancy companies um, and third party assurance providers that will be able to assess adherence to standards. And so, like in many other areas of product safety, it's expected that the use and reliance of these standards will be the the, the mode of choice for companies to show uh, compliance with with the EU AI Act.
3: Thank you very much, Florian. Um, what is the status of European standards in the UK? Will there be divergence from the EU Act or will the UK adopt the same standards?
2: So I think that's a really interesting question, um, considering where we're at in terms of what's happening at the EU level and what is now happening in the UK with the recently published white paper. Because at the surface, we see the UK government taking a different approach to the EU Commission's approach in the sense that there is no introduction of a new regulatory uh, framework in the UK. Instead, there is an emphasis on relying on existing regulators to implement the principles that are set out in the white paper. But the uh, similarity or sort of the shared spirit that we see both in the EU and in the UK is the emphasis on the role of standards. So again, in the EU, that role takes the form of harmonized standards. In the UK, we see a heavy emphasis in the white paper on non-regulatory tools with standards being uh, arguably the most prominent of those tools so there's a strong vision for the uk to make prominent use of standards as a governance tool now the question is what will those standards be interestingly and unbeknownst to i think quite a few listeners out there potentially the uk is still involved in the development of harmonized european standards because those standards are developed by the european standards organizations who aren't uh, eu organizations they're private bodies so the uk has a voice in developing those standards um the standards that will be developed in support of the AI Act, in many ways, sort of thematically mirror a lot of the principles that are in the white paper in the UK. So, you know, at the at the surface level, um, there is sort of a, a starting assumption, I think, to say, you know, it, there, there might be a, a future where uh, the same standards might might be considered adequate for regulatory expectations in the UK and in the EU, because, you know, in both cases, we're talking about the need for standards on transparency and for uh, bias mitigation and so on. Um, But of course, ultimately, it depends on, you know, the details of those standards, you know, what's the content of those standards, and what do those that make decisions about the use of standards think in both jurisdictions? So I mean, in this case, ultimately, what do regulators in the UK, if they express preferences for standards? Um, but also, you know, individual companies. If if standards adoption is voluntary, um, you know, what do they consider adequate? Do they uh, choose choose to sort of adhere to a, a European transparency standard for AI, or will there be will we see an emergence of a of a standard that might, um, you know, differ in content although it tries to address the same topic? But maybe maybe Ray, you you have you're much closer to sort of the logic of companies in in making decisions
1: about standards, so you might might have things to add. Yes, I think. <clears throat> thank you, Florian. I, I, I think this is, in a sense, the big hope of companies. Frankly, is that standards will be. Used across across borders, because I think it's fairly clear now that we're not going to see, you know, similar regulations or legislation in different uh, geographies. <clears throat> we've talked so far about the EU and the UK, but then we've also got the US and obviously many other markets as well. Um, I think it's sadly, in a way, too much to hope that you know the, the legislative environments will be will be unified or somehow consistent. But if we could agree on common standards, maybe it's not all of them, but maybe it's quite a few of them, and sort of recognition of those common standards, that would go a long way to making life easier for companies in terms of being able to adhere to something which is clearly prescribed, because at the moment there's a lot of uncertainty around what it means to say you are being transparent or you are being fair or or whatever. So if you have a clear definition of that and a way to demonstrate, and if that is recognized in different jurisdictions, um, that would be hugely uh, helpful for companies.
0: So thank you so much for your answers. And we're talking about um, uh, the, reg- the the regulations and standards from the top down. So my question now is, what are the challenges to actually implement these or or have them adapted from the bottom up, from either the perspective of the companies or the perspective of the academic institutions?
1: Um, So obviously, as we said, the the, the biggest challenge at the moment is um, a lack of consistency and the fact that companies are having to look across multiple jurisdictions um, and indeed, multiple different types of um, regulation. So, you know, we focused here specifically on the draft EU AI Act, for example, and the government's uh, AI white paper, but then you have also um, re- regulations about data. You have many digital um, uh, legislation um, and then you have sectoral specific legislation in particular jurisdictions. And many of these things overlap. It's a bit of a Venn diagram where pieces of different legislation will overlap with others. And clearly legislators in a particular geography try to um, ensure consistency, but it's not always easy for companies to sort of see through that and be completely clear which pieces of legislation would apply to them or which standards would apply to them under what circumstance. But then in terms of the implementation within the the company – I think there's probably two parts to that. One is you need to clearly define which guidance or which rules you are actually going to follow. So get a clear map of these ones are applicable to to me um, because of the jurisdiction I'm in or because of the products I make or whatever it is. So these these, uh, ones apply to me. Some may be legislation and some may be guidance that you choose to adopt. And then obviously the hardest part is then putting in place processes within the organization to make sure that people follow those. So these will be controls and and, and detailed governance um, processes across the organization with appropriate training um, to back that up. Um, Typically, in the case of AI, these will be embedded in what we call the model development lifecycle or the MLOps process process. So as you're building AI models, you start by thinking about a use case, you then look for some data, then you um, clean and process the data, then you'll build a model. There are various stages to this, and you will ask different questions along that life lifecycle um, to make sure that you are complying with the guidelines or the legislation that you've chosen. But that's... Um, you know, it's quite a big thing for an organization to implement, particularly if you're a large organization distributed over perhaps different geographies, different divisions, different products, etc. It's quite a heavy lift to get ready for this.
2: Perhaps just to, to add to a couple of those points that Ray just made. So I think the, the point about the, the landscape potentially being quite complex is a really important one in terms of, you know, the, depending on the sector, Quite a lot of different pieces of reg- regulation and legislation that apply, and navigating that can already be a, a challenge for established companies. But it's a particular challenge for new entrants and for startups. And there's some prominent examples. Um, if you think, for example, of medical devices, that's a the medical device sector is a sector that's heavily regulated traditionally and has sector-specific regulation, and then of course all kinds of cross-sector regulation applying to it, like uh, data protection legislation and so on. Now, it's an interesting field in the AI context because there isn't a very good general understanding in the public out there in terms of what a medical device is, you know, and the fact that the chatbot, for example, depending on how it's used be considered a medical device. And that's a point that might be completely, uh, you know, a startup founder might be quite unaware of, right? And so... We might have similar situations in financial services where, you know, a, a, a company that isn't a financial services company, but it operates in a different sector in a data broker context, for example, enters a sector and as a result might might sort of lack the awareness of um, just what are the many pieces of, of regulation that apply to it. So that that complexity, I think, um, is, a, is a crucial point. And then maybe another point worth emphasizing is the the potential vagueness in interpreting regulatory requirements. Um, So in in the UK in particular, we see, depending on the sector, quite a few regulators that traditionally take a principles based approach to regulation. That means a regulatory approach that emphasises certain general principles without necessarily specifying in every detail what that principle is meant to mean in any given context. So for example, you know, there's a principle of treating customers fairly in financial services without necessarily being set out in every detail, you know, what that means when it comes to using machine learning for credit scoring. So where there is that vagueness in terms of regulatory sort of guidance, then there is sort of a a question of regulatory uncertainty and companies need to come up with their own Judgment and interpretation of what the regulatory expectation is. Standards can play an important role again in in make adding that concreteness to some extent. And in the EU AI Act context, it will play that role because the EU AI Act requirements in the legal text are fairly general, and then uh, it's expected that standards provide more detail. Um, but then standards are a particular type of document of their own. And if a company isn't very familiar, hasn't used a, a standard in the past, you know, that is, again, a challenge that requires a particular set of skills and knowledge around how standards are being used, how one might get certified against the standard. Um, and it's that kind of capacity building and skills development that that's part of the mission of the AI standards hub, which we, we might perhaps come back to later on that we're trying to address with the AI standards hub.
0: So in a way, having standards or having something like standards would be trying to reduce the potential for loopholes, right? Because if something is very vague, people can just, in the wrong hands, can be exploited in a way, which is, I think, the biggest fear of the public, right? With all of this scare and all of this hype around AI is how it can be exploited. So I guess this type of regulatory research, in a way, being done is to prevent these um, loopholes, right?
2: Yeah, I think that's one certainly one important part of it. Um, I would say perhaps a bit more broadly, it's not just about loopholes. sort of the you know assumption that there is sort of ill intent in trying to yeah. avoid regulation. There's sort of a, a genuine challenge, even for well-intentioned actors, of interpreting you know regulation and understanding. And there are value judgments involved in terms of you know how to how to apply a fairness principle to a given context. Um, so it's a challenge for you know, for well-intentioned actors just as much as, as a matter of preventing ill-intended use of or avoidance of regulation.
3: I have a question. Um, we talked about the some of the challenges, but how do we set ourselves up for success here? Particularly, I know you mentioned startups or, you know, well-intended organizations. So wondering how would they set themselves up for success?
1: Um, so I think one of the key things is to... Um, consider all of these aspects, what we might generally call you know, responsible AI um, from the design stage. So it's really hard if you um, develop a product or a service and then afterwards try to figure out, well, how should I have made it um, compatible with appropriate regulation and guidance, et cetera. Whereas if you um, set out with a, a responsible AI by design, Approach, and you think about it from the very selection of the use case. You know, is this something that's appropriate for for AI? Do we want to use it in this context? And then, as you go through data selection, model building, et cetera, all the way through those stages, that's where you have most flexibility to you know change what you're doing, and therefore to um, make sure that you're going to be um, compliant with uh, the least amount of effort. So, I think that's the the thing that organizations are kind of starting to get used to and in a similar way obviously all of our readers and listeners will have noticed the fact that generative AI has exploded you know recently. what we found is that organizations that already had um, a foundation in terms of governance processes and policies and things like this to um, um, to manage how they use AI those companies find it much easier to adapt when suddenly you have this, this new variant, if you like, of the technology that, that comes on the scene. Whereas companies that don't have a strong foundation, that don't have this approach of, of um, implementing by design, uh, then find themselves suddenly having to try to catch up and figure out how are we going to cope with this new um, technology that we want to make use of because it has amazing potential, but we need to do so safely.
3: Thank you, Ray.
2: Maybe I'll, I'll just add a couple of points again. So I, I very much agree, agree that um, implementation by design is absolutely crucial. Um, and you know, for an organization to start early to think about how, how to set up governance processes and documentation processes that later on make it easier to show compliance with, with expectations is absolutely key. Um, to add to that, I think another area... For for companies to consider is is to really be foresightful in you know being on the outlook on what regulatory developments and guidance type developments are coming their way, rather than waiting for you know legislation to um, enter into effect, um, or similarly rather than waiting for you know standards to be published, um, to actually actively follow. You know the standards development landscape, and get a sense, get a head start, sort of, in thinking about you know what standards are are coming down the pipeline. Standards are typically published in draft form before they're published in their final version, which is usually sort of a, a one-year period. Um, you know, where actors will be able to get a sense of what the likely content of a standard is, and and are able to prepare for the implementation. Um, on top of that, of course, the 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 Ultimate objective, again, that we're trying to partly achieve through the AI standards hub is for organizations to actually become more actively involved in the development of standards. So rather than just being passive consumers of standards as they come down the line, um, there's a real opportunity. You know, this is a live space at the moment, both in terms of the standards at the European level that we discussed earlier, um, as well as at the international level in ISO, IEC, IEEE, Some standards have been published, but the vast majority of standards for AI that will be decisive in the years years to come are currently under development. And there's an opportunity, you know, for anyone, any stakeholder, developers, private sector actors, as well as civil society regulators to actively shape those standards. We know that that's not always easy and there's sort of a an important role for the Standards Hub to play to raise awareness of how to get engaged and how to make one's voice heard. So that's what we're trying to do. But we are seeing a lot of interest um, six months into the existence of the Hub. So that gives us hope that, you know, that that we're on the right track of of increasing engagement in that space.
0: Um, Now that you're bringing up the Hub, can you tell us uh, a little bit more about what is the Hub and what is the mission and what it aims for?
2: Thank you. So the AI Standards Hub was launched in October last year. We just passed the initial six months of of the hub's existence. It's rooted in the national AI strategy, which was published, the UK government's national AI strategy, which, which, which was published two and a half years ago. And it's rooted in the recognition that standards will play a key role for AI governance for the reasons that we've already discussed, UK policy developments, European policy developments, international policy developments. So that's the first component, the, the inc- rapidly growing importance of standards. Secondly, the fact that the landscape of standards development for AI is quite rapidly evolving and difficult to keep track of. Um, so we, as part of the hub, um, going back to your question of what the hub is, we have built a website and the... Key component of the website, by far not the only one, but the the one that we, we are probably proudest of is a database of AI standards that we've built, um, standards under development as well as standards that have already been published. And that database currently contains over 300 standards already, you know, and we're still at a fairly early stage of AI standardization. So it's very difficult already now for stakeholders to keep track of what standards are being developed and then to determine you know, which standards are most relevant to them. If I'm a startup in sort of healthcare AI, you know, what are the standards that I should be most concerned with? So we built this tool, this database to make that, make that easier. Um, so importance of standards, the difficulty of navigating the landscape, and then recognizing that there are important capacity building needs in order to empower stakeholders both to use standards but then again going back to what i just mentioned to become more actively involved in the development of standards so there is an important training component for the hub um to the hub's mission in order to provide the skills provide the knowledge for stakeholders to both understand how the standards development process works and then also to be equipped with the knowledge of best practice for ai that should be captured by a standard so if i'm in a working group to develop a standard for bias mitigation for example what should that standard be saying? You know, what's, what is best practice for AI for AI bias mitigation? So those are all things um, that we're trying to do with the hub. There's an important additional layer around international engagement and international cooperation because standardization is inherently international in nature. So we're thinking about uh, very hard and, and looking actively how we can collaborate with similar initiatives in other countries. And uh, yeah, we have the website that we've developed that I'd like to invite everyone to take a look at. In addition, there's a program of events that is announced on the website. Um, there is a program of research, that will publish research outputs, um, looking at gaps in the standards landscape, uh, priority areas, and so on. So in a nutshell, that w- that's what the AI Standards Hub is trying to do.
3: Thank you, Florian. And just a quick question. Sorry, what's the name of the website?
2: So the, the URL, address, the address yes, thank you so. is aistandardshub.org. Thank you. Fairly simple. <laughs> Perfect.
3: That was also my question. I was about to jump
0: in. <laughs>
2: you can also follow us on Twitter under a- at AI standards hub.
0: That's usually the last question that we have, yeah. but we have more questions. Don't worry. <laughs> so circling back a little bit, uh, I-, I want to ask something to Ray, if that's okay. Because we were talking about, um, you mentioned how the standards come in draft versions, and you have some time to to look at them for for companies. And Accenture has a lot of clients. You would be the people that would be looking at the drafts and preparing and helping their clients prepare. So, could you tell us a little bit about how you're helping from the side, the company side? Um, what does it look like to you?
1: So we certainly um, engage both with the standards process and with um, regulatory consultations. I mean, a recent example was NIST in the United States that has done a lot of work around guidance, and they um, they put out calls for consultation and feedback on draft proposals. We also very much encourage you know our clients that we work with um, to get engaged in the process, but also, as Florian said, you know, many of them... Possibly don't have the resources or the ability to do that, but you can obtain a lot of information, you know, publicly and keep an eye on things. And if I draw a comparison with GDPR, which I think is is quite um, encouraging, I think in in the lead up to GDPR, we found that many organisations left it very late um, before they started to do anything to prepare for, um, you know, for the legislation that was coming in. We think on average that companies now are probably reacting a year or so earlier in the life cycle, if you like, of, of legislative development um, than they were for GDPR. I think many still perhaps underestimate how much effort is going to be involved in getting ready for, let's say, the draft EU-AI Act. It's very comprehensive in terms of what you have to put in place. Um You know, we've, uh, as Accenture, we've been on a journey now for several years already getting ready for it, putting in place policies, but lots of systems and training and things like this. And um, to Florian's point, which I think is very important, even though we don't know exactly what the legislation or the standards may look like, we have a pretty good idea of the direction that they're going in. And yes, you may have to make some tweaks along the along the way, but I don't think that uh, there's any reason not to get started and put the foundations in place, and then it becomes you know much easier and quicker to make those final adjustments as things um, you know get clarified.
0: So we are talking about, Uh, and, And I think Florian mentioned that there's a push to try to get more input from also companies into these standards and these regulations. So my question is, what happens in the case that actually the things that are being implemented or enforced are actually not something that people agree with?
1: Well, I guess in the case of standards, as far I mentioned, standards are not um, legally required. Standards are there to help organisations. So if, if as an organisation, you don't, for some reason, agree with a particular standard, you're perfectly at liberty to take a different approach to demonstrate that you comply with a particular legislation. If it's legislation you don't agree with, well, then you're a bit stuck, right? Because that's that that is once it's once it you know, moves into law, then that is something that you um, that you have to follow. And at the end of the day, um, as we've seen, for example, through the evolution of the Draft EU AI Act, it will it is a consensus building. Process. Right? I mean, there's been plenty of disagreement amongst many different parties over the course of the development of the Draft EU AI Act. You can't please everyone about everything, um, so you try to arrive at the best consensus, and that's what the the groups that are leading standards development or legislation development are trying are trying to do. While of course, keeping an eye on what they think is right from a um, you know from a, a legislative and, and most importantly public safety perspective.
2: I think certainly generally, as, as Ray, you just mentioned, you know, standards by and large are voluntary. Um, there are some exceptions maybe worth mentioning. So in principle, it's possible for regulators, both in the UK and in other jurisdictions to directly reference standards. So we see that in some sectors Um of course, when that happens, then it affects the interest of a company um, much more directly, but by and large, I think, f- you know, for the vast majority of AI standards, we expect that they will be voluntary, but I think, you know, nonetheless, it's it's. You know on the one hand at the minimum sort of a lost opportunity because of the mm. because of the potential benefits of standards to make signaling of best practice more efficient and so on you know at the at the minimum it's a lost opportunity if if a standard doesn't match what companies think you know is, is good practice and or companies don't, uh, don't pursue standards. There's no uptake of standards. Uh, I mean, there's, there's, there are plenty of examples of standards that have been p- developed in various sectors that aren't being used much. So, you know, and without doubt, that will happen to some AI standards. <laughs> but um, whenever that happens, it's a lost opportunity. But the other important thing I think to, to recognize is the fact that standards are voluntary doesn't necessarily mean that a company that develops AI is sort of not faced with any pressures to to adhere to a standard. Mm-hmm. It might be, for example, that uh, the company's clients, if a company sells AI systems, you know, have procurement rules that require the adherence to a given, you know, to standard X, Y, Z. And um, in fact, we see. I mean, that's something we see in in many areas. And if if that ends up being the case, you know, a procurer saying we'll only buy your your AI service or product if you adhere to the standard, and it turns out that that standard um, it's very difficult to implement for a company because that that AI developer's niche wasn't well represented in the in the development of the standard. That can be really tough and sort of have a serious impact on the business success success of that.
0: I have a follow up question. Ray mentioned GDPR in the back and there were consequences to the not compliance with gdpr because it was a legislation do you see any of the ai standards that you were mentioning that have to be followed do you see any in the future consequences to not following some of these practices
2: so we, we currently don't see any ai standards being developed that are you know required yes. in a strict sense yeah in a, in a legal or regulatory sense but do
0: you think it's something that will be that is in the future
2: I think it's easy to imagine it, it emerge, in, emerging in certain areas. Um, you know, so in the, in, medi- in the medical device context, for example, um, there is a history of regulation to refer to standards expe- explicitly. So, uh, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if, oh. if that if that happens for a standard for AI and medical devices, for example.
0: So it would be it wouldn't be like as general as GDPR, for example, that affected um, several sectors. It would be specific to sectors then.
1: I think those are the cases that are easiest to imagine. Um, I think the analogy with GDPR is probably closer to the EU AI Act itself, which will be cross-sector and will be the umbrella, if you like. And then the standards will slot underneath it and may be required in certain very specific areas. But I suspect more broadly, people will be required to follow the EU AI Act and then have to figure out how they're going to demonstrate that and they may choose to rely upon standards as one way of of documenting and proving. And I think it's also probably worth just mentioning that um, there can be a positive side to this and you kind of signaled this, Florian, a little bit in terms of using, let's say, standards as a way of demonstrating to people that you comply and then um, hence showing building trust. So if you think about also end consumers, you know, you can you can imagine people saying, "Well, we comply with this particular standard as a way of giving reassurance to customers that okay, it's it's okay to do business with these people for this particular product or service because we have some trust in the fact that the regulator put these standards in place, and and therefore there's some independent view, if you like, um, that says that this is okay."
2: And this is, so I think there's an interesting link here if you think about the AI, the sort of emerging AI assurance ecosystem, you know, where we see uh, sort of a growing sector of uh, service providers that that sort of provide third-party auditing or third-party forms of assurance of AI systems. At the moment, um, the way that landscape operates is that most of those providers develop their own frameworks because there's nothing else to work with. Um, And it can, as a result, be quite difficult for their clients to compare services provided by different uh, companies. And so that's the link here. One role that standards can play is make those kinds of services more comparable if they are used as a shared basis for how those kinds of auditing are being conducted. It can be very helpful,
1: yes.
3: On the topic of trust, thinking about ChatGPT, it's uh, very popular in the news currently. Um, how would you say it fits in with the regulations?
2: So I think ChatGPT, of course, has been in the headlines for the last few months, um, both in you know sort of the public discourse and and the general media, and um, it's been a dominant topic in regulatory debates and expert discussions. I think it's a live issue to see f- how JetGPT and similar technologies, generative AI, more generally, will be tackled um, exactly in the EU AI Act. Um, there's been some progress, and we now, I think, know that there will be, uh, the, the AI Act won't be obviously won't be silent on generative AI. Um, it looks like it won't be the case that, which was a proposal a while back, that all forms of generative AI will, by definition, be considered high risk, so the, the debate has moved away from that um, in a direction where there will probably be special division, special provisions for, for generative AI. But it is, you know, it is a, a new development that at least to many people playing a leading role in the policy debate came as a bit of a surprise, maybe more of a surprise than it should have been, you know, for anyone more closely following the technological development. And so it is a, it is a live question how the EU AI Act will address it. In the UK context, of course, with the white paper, we have a more you know, flexible framework, which you know the way the principles are set out, you can see how those principles might be applied. And I think there's a recognition in the white paper that you know there, there are important new issues, novel issues that are raised by generative AI, for example, around uh, intellectual property. Uh, you know, when it comes to Artwork, for example, that is used um, in the training of uh, large language models or other generative systems. Yeah, so there's an important recognition that new issues are being raised. Um, But I think, yeah, the answers in terms of how to address those issues from a governance perspective are yet to emerge. Um, It also raises interesting questions for the standards context, because at least the way um, the field is currently evolving for the foreseeable future, a large part, probably the majority of generative AI, tools will be provided in the form of software as a service um, rather than being developed in house by the companies that use the systems. And so there's a challenge there in a sense to the traditional product mindset of regulation or or safety assurance in the sense that the company that provides the system, say OpenAI, has only limited control over what happens to the system, how the system is being used, um, how, you know, what kind of continued training may, may be happening on the part of the company procuring and using the system. So there are interesting challenges both on the regulation side and in the standard side because standards traditionally often focus on a product framework. There is a need for creative solutions in that
1: space. Um, maybe just a couple of other observations. So one is I think it's fair to say that the very public advent of generative AI has also increased awareness for the possible need for regulation for AI in general. I think globally now there are more and more countries and and individuals, senior politicians, regulators, etc calling for, Regulation, um, so you know that will, I think, accelerate the the process of of regulation and hence standards. The other thing is, I think that the draft EU AI Act had already been doing quite a good job in kind of raising awareness of the possible need for regulation. Obviously, there's differences in opinions as to you know what kind of regulation is needed, but the fact that there is something in place and that was an advanced draft actually puts them in quite a good position to now add generative ai into it they don't have to start from scratch they have to make some modifications but you know there is a there's a framework there's a vehicle there into which they can include new provisions relatively easily, which I think shows the value of you know, putting in place something that you can then build upon, even if it's not 100% perfect to start with. Um, because the speed with which technology is evolving, we can't afford to spend five years every time we want to bring in a new piece of legislation. We have to be able to speed up the process to keep up with, um, with new technologies
0: this is a great segue into the next question that i was going to ask because technology is moving exponentially right like we 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 see how quickly it goes so what mecha- are there any mechanisms other than waiting and while it's a draft growing uh, writing more but for legislation that is already in place are there mechanisms to adapt it to the new technology that keeps emerging
1: well, one thing that can help is having a slightly more principles based approach to things rather than very specific um, rules. Now, companies often don't like that because it's harder to comply with a broader principle because you have less certainty as to whether you are complying. But on the other hand, I think it is probably more um, long-lasting in that you set the broad principles that you want people to think about and adhere to, and then the onus is on those complying to think about in the current context, in the current technology environment and, and so forth. Am I actually complying? Am I doing what the regulator really wanted? And then, importantly, you know, documenting why they felt that they were um, complying and I think often regulators look at that reasonably sympathetically. I and mean, if you've got a good reason for believing something and you document, et cetera, at least you show that you've tried to comply with the principle of the regulation. And I think that will help us to um, develop more robust legislation that will stand the longer test of time.
3: Thank you, Ray. Um Thinking about what you were saying about being more principle-based and the different approaches, one could say that the US is more rules-based. Are there benefits of having, say, principles-based versus rules-based?
2: So I think Ray put it quite well just now in terms of you know setting out the contrast, sort of the trade-off is between, to my mind, between the certainty that uh, a rules-based approach provides to companies um, in terms of what's, what's expected at the potential cost of you know, the rules become coming out of date, the rules being misspecified, you know, the same way in which we think about the challenges of defining the objective function of a AI system in a proper way that doesn't, you know, protect against unintended consequences. You can easily uh, set up a regulatory rule that's specified in a way that, you know, leaves a loophole that the regulator hasn't considered. So rules, you know, provide that certainty, which of course is often welcome to companies may unlock some some forms of adoption, where you know, otherwise companies might hesitate to adopt technology because they're hesitant in, in terms of being unsure of what the regulatory expectations are. So the, there's the there's the certainty with with the costs of you know potentially creating gaps or ending up with gaps, um, and the principles based approach is that kind of broader approach, but of course then comes with the risk of companies misinterpreting the principle and you know including in some cases where. A rule would obviously have protected against a certain or accounted for a certain type of misbehavior, but the principle fails fails to specify it. So,
1: yeah, I think it's, I don't know, Ray, whether you'd like to add to that? I, I would completely agree. No, I, I think there are lots of trade-offs and, um, and often it comes back to more the philosophical kind of mindset of particular countries and, and regions uh, that take slightly different approaches to regulation.
2: I think there's an interesting parallel in thinking about the role of rules in the regulatory space and thinking about the relationship between standards and regulation. Um, So if you go back to the different scenarios that we considered earlier of standards being voluntary versus standards creating a presumption of conformity, for example, or in fact you know regulators specifically endorsing a standard you can think of standards as providing rules so you know generally standards will be more specific than uh, regulation regulatory you know, guidance. Um, they may still be quite general. I mean, that's important to bear in mind. There are lots of process standards that can be fairly general, but you know, generally they, we'd expect them to be more concrete than what the regulator might publish. And so the question of whether a regulator should endorse a standard or whether legislation should give a standard that status of being a harmonized standard or a designated standard in the UK, you know, may be thought of as reflecting that trade-off in terms of who takes on the burden of making sure that the rule is you know is adequate so it's you know is it is it on the company to judge whether a standard is adequate or not and if it turns out the standard uh, failed to account for a certain risk the company is found to be in violation of regulatory requirements or is it on the regulator to say you know these are the right standards and and if a company as long as a company adheres to the standards the company is in the clear.
3: No, that's a very good question. <laughs> now, just um pondering on what you've just said there. So, yeah, it's very interesting.
0: I guess my final question, our final question, is where, where do we go from here? What's the the next few steps for, for the standards hub and for your approaches, um at Accenture?
1: Um. Well, I think we have taken uh, comfort, if you like, from the fact that uh, we published a survey last year, of eight hundred and fifty larger companies globally and um, they were indicating that they have set aside budget to focus on um, regulatory compliance and responsible AI specifically. So 80% said that they were setting aside 10% of their AI budget just for regulation, and nearly half of them were setting aside uh, 20% of their budget. And I think that makes sense when you look at some of the other questions they answered where they said uh, 95% of companies do expect to be um, impacted by the EU AI regulations when they come out. Because I don't think we've mentioned this, but the act is um, extraterritorial in the sense that it applies to any company which is going to do business in Europe you don't have to be a european based company but if you're doing business or selling products or services into Europe like GDPR you will be impacted and actually most companies were saying in fact only only 6% of companies said that they felt they were ready in terms of having implemented their um, responsible AI principles and built a solid foundation. So a recognition that yes, they're going to be impacted by regulation. No, they're not ready for it, but they are setting aside budget. And it's definitely a key priority for, for organizations at the moment, which I think is very encouraging. For the AI
2: standards hub, um, I think the important next steps are to think about the relationship between horizontal and vertical standardization needs. That's one important area that we are planning to focus on in the coming months. In the last six months, we have focused initially as part of the launch of the hub on horizontal standardization efforts so there's a lot of work that we see across different standard development organizations on standards that are meant to apply across different use cases across the use of AI in different sectors but it's quite clear that a mature standards landscape for AI will include a combination consist of a combination between those kinds of horizontal standards and uh, AI standards that are specifically meant to uh, apply to the use of AI, say, in healthcare or in financial services, or more narrowly, you know, to particular use cases such as chatbot or a generative AI system um, and so on. So in terms of you know, expanding the hub's work, one important area is to think about engaging different communities across the different stakeholders groups that we mentioned in different vertical areas, enabling conversations around the relationship between horizontal governance approaches and vertical governance approaches. And that's of course reflected in many ways in what we see happening at the regulatory level. So in the you know UK UK white paper, um, the emphasis on sectoral regulators which will raise that question of what what is needed sectorally um, in the UAI act, even though the act is horizontal in nature, there will be a need to think about sector-specific provisions because different use cases will, going back to the risk scoring, will have uh, different risk categories coming with them. So that relationship between vertical and horizontal is important. And we will be following very closely what's happening at the level of European standardization, thinking about the implications for the UK. Um, And of course, the international level of standardization. So there are, in a sense, three levels of standards development. There's the national level, there's the European level, there's the international level. And uh, part of what we're trying to do is to arrive as, at, at as coherent a landscape across of the, across these three levels as possible in the years to come.
3: So I had a quick question on that. As the resident layperson, I do have to ask: What do you mean by horizontal and vertical?
2: Right. And yeah. I mean, it's a very good question. Um, it's sort of a you know, it's an established term in policy debates, but one that it, it is a technical term that that <laughs> I appreciate isn't familiar in, in in wider circles. So, what I generally mean, or what what, what is generally meant by by that contrast, is um, a horizontal piece of of regulation or standards standardization is a piece that is trying to address the use of AI in different sectors, in different areas. So think of the information commissioner's office um, as the data protection regulator. That's a regulatory body that we would refer to as a horizontal regulatory body because you know it has a remit that applies to all companies regardless on which sector they operate in um, any area where personal data is involved, regardless of whether it's healthcare or financial services um, and so on. Similarly, you will get standards you know, that are meant to provide a risk management framework for AI systems uh, at a fairly high level, regardless of the nature of the AI system. The vertical uh, approach is a, an approach that either focuses on, focus on a particular sector. Um, so a vertical regulator would be the financial um Conduct authority for financial services or other sector-specific regulators. In the case of standards, it can also be more narrowly uh, use case-specific standards. So you might have a standard that's designed to apply to autonomous vehicles, right? Which is sort of a particular use case within the broader sector of transport. Or in healthcare, you might get a standard specifically for cancer detection tools, right? Which is a very particular use case. Um, and so depending on depending on the governance needs. Um, of different that that arise in different contexts it's clear that sort of you know the landscape we'll end up with over the coming years is one that that combines elements that are vertical in nature in order to address specific you know nu- nuances that only exist in a particular context and uh, horizontal elements that that are more cross-cutting
3: perfect thank you very much for clarifying thank you so
0: much uh, both of you for all of your answers i think this is super elucidating i Um, I learned a lot today. Same. (laughs) (laughs) And I feel like that's the best from the podcast. Uh, So I want to thank you. I want to ask... The final question, Florian already mentioned Twitter, but how can people find you and your work, in this case, the AI standards and um, social media websites, anything you want to shout out now?
2: (laughs) So yeah, please take a look at the AI standards Hub website, aistandardshub.org, sign up for our newsletter, which comes out every every other week. That's where we announce events, um, new research coming out, um, and follow us on Twitter, AI standards hub.
1: And in my case, uh, you can follow me on LinkedIn, uh, Ray Eitel-Porter. And uh, obviously, if you go to the Accenture.com uh, website, uh, we have a section there on Responsible AI, uh, which has a lot of useful uh, resources and, uh, and information.
0: Thank you so much. Uh, we want to particularly shout out um, the voiceless person that organized this podcast. So we wanted to say a shout out to Tony Zematis. That made this podcast possible. And again, thank you, Anika, for hosting with me. And thank you, our guests. Thank you all very much.
1: Thank you very much. My pleasure. Thank you.
0: Thanks for listening to this week's episode. The show is hosted by me, B. Costagomus, Ed Kalstreet, Joe Dungate, Christina Last, and Anika York. Music for this podcast is produced by Jam and Son. You can listen and follow via the link in the description or by searching Jam and Son on Instagram. Oh, 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 oh,